0: And, you know, we remind people of of stats an awful lot. You know, who's coming to church, who isn't coming to church. You know, we have relativism today, um, other heresies going on today. Divide, you know, within the church. But as long as there is one person holding the light, there's still light. Prudence is... The virtue that disposes practical reason, the mind thinking about what should be done to discover our true good in every circumstance and to choose the right means of achieving it. With the help of this virtue, we apply moral principles to particular cases. Forgiveness comes from the heart. You know that we forgive and we move on. For me, justice is that we're held accountable for what we have done there's still consequences to the act and that we you know for me it's for me it's kind of penance
1: i think fortitude kind of expresses the degree that we have in what what it is that we believe in you know are you willing to stand up and and be counted in support of the things that you say you believe in the the natural order Or in a
0: supernatural order. Fear has two meanings forget everything and run, or face everything and rise. And fortitude helps us to face everything and rise. Here's your host.
2: I'm Tony Miller with KCDM, your host for the show this evening. Thanks for joining us for this week's episode of Pastor's Perspective. This week, we continue a three-part series on virtues and vices. We are in the 22nd week of Ordinary Time, and we'll be previewing the Gospel of Luke for the 23rd Sunday of Ordinary Time. I would like to uh, welcome all of the priests in the posse tonight. Father Dennis. Thank you. Father Marty.
0: Good afternoon, everybody.
2: Father Mike.
1: Hello, everybody.
2: And Father James. Hello, everyone. It's good to have you all around the table again. don't have any news or notes tonight. Uh, School's back in session. We have a parish mission coming up.
0: Yes, and we'll, um, and also the big thing is, if you think you have the arm, because Father James says he's going to stay high and dry and just read a book on the dunk tank, (laughs) come out to St. Mary's Dodgeville Autumn Fest on September the 11th and dunk Father James and our Notre Dame Mm -hmm. principal, the Moppin. You can also take your chance of playing ping pong against Father Dennis.
3: Oh, yeah.
0: And you can also have a chipping contest with yours truly. So, oh. so that's something we're really looking forward to. Um, September the 11th. So you know what Father James did?
1: He deliberately complicated my schedule that Sunday by having <laughs> taking his place so I won't have the privilege of knocking him off his throne.
4: Hey, uh, so, so Father Phillips is graciously you know, is going to cover the 10.30 mass for us. I'm going to be high and dry starting at 1 o'clock till mm-hmm. 1.30. You wouldn't be if I was where I should be. You can come up there. You'll okay. have plenty of time after mass. Well, we'll see. High and dry.
0: You said 1 o'clock, right? 1 o'clock. I'll be
4: in the tank yeah. from 1 o'clock to 1.30. Maybe a long mass. I don't know. <laughs> I, got, I got a feeling I'll be high and dry, not a care in the world sitting up there. I might even be working on a tan oh, at that point.
1: You're setting yourself up, Father. Oh dear.
2: You've got this. There you have it, everyone. You have an open invitation to make sure Father James is not high and dry. <laughs> Mm. Uh,
0: Father Marty, you have our opening prayer for this evening? I certainly do. We come together in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Lord God, give me the faith I need to know your will, the hope I need to accept your will, and the love I need to do your will, even when I don't understand it, knowing that your way is better than mine, through Christ our Lord.
3: Amen. Amen. In
0: the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Amen.
2: Thank you, Father Marty, Very, You're very nice. Uh, tonight the Posse will discuss Luke's reading for the twenty-third Sunday in ordinary time, and that's chapter fourteen, verses twenty-five through thirty-three. In this reading, Jesus lays out what we need to do to be his disciples. It's safe to say that it's not that easy. Father Dennis, you have our
3: reading? Yes, sir. So, great clouds, we are traveling with Jesus. And he turned and addressed them. If anyone comes to me without hating his father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not carry his own cross and come after me cannot be. My disciple, which of you wishing to construct a tower does not first sit down and calculate the cost to see if there is enough for its completion? Otherwise, after laying the foundation and finding himself unable to finish the work, the onlookers should laugh at him and say, this one began to build but did not have the resources to finish, or what a king marching into battle would not first sit down and decide whether with ten thousand troops he can successfully oppose another king, advancing upon him with twenty thousand troops. But uh, if not while he is still far away, he will send a delegation to ask for peace terms. In the same way, any one of you who does not renounce all his possessions cannot be my disciple." The Gospel of the Lord. Praise, Praise to you, you, Lord Jesus, Jesus Christ.
2: Christ. Thank you, Father Dennis. I have to admit that when I started reading this gospel, I was a little confused. And Jesus is, is love and says we should love our neighbor as ourselves. And why do I need to hate my family and even my own life before I can be his disciple? I mean, it it seems a little harsh to me. What am I missing here?
4: Well, it's like the idea that Christ is calling you to have a greater commitment, a greater love of him than necessarily your own Your own family, your own parents. Like he's not, you know, throwing that fourth commandment out the window because we all know what the fourth commandment is, right, Tony? Mm -hmm. Uh, Right, exactly. Which is (laughs) love your father and mother. There we go. Honor your mother and father. And so it's that opportunity for us. You know, Jesus isn't saying like, "Hey, forget your parents." No, he's saying you need to have an even greater love of me than your
2: own parents. But he's
4: not throwing out the whole bathtub water in the baby.
2: So compared to your love for your family, you need to love God more. Correct.
0: Right. It's like the old signs um, that you would see on refrigerators or maybe in a house, you know, one of those inspirational signs, you know, in this house, we love God first, family second, job third. Oh, okay. So I think it's a listing of the priorities where above all else, that the love of God comes first. It's like the greatest commandment. Love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself.
1: And I think he used the word hate because it's a shake-up word. It's a word that really gets you, you said you were confused by it, but most people are turned off by it because it seems to be the exact opposite of the way our Lord was preaching. And he, he used that word in order to draw attention to the fact that we cannot have anything that's greater than our love for God in the service of the Lord. Nothing should stand in the way of that. And, I mean, we're not supposed to... you know, God doesn't want us to hate ourselves. We're supposed to love others the way we love ourselves. But here he says, even your own life, you know, you've got to hate your own life. Mother, father, wife, children, brothers, sisters. It's a, it's a shake-up word to get us to think more deeply about our relationship with God.
2: So he uses the word hate as an attention-getter. Absolutely. For the crowd he was speaking to as well sure. as for us.
1: He does it again with, take up your cross and follow me. You know, we are so uh, comfortable with the cross today as a religious symbol that we don't see the, the terror of it, the reality of it, the horror of it. You know, if we were to see an actual crucifixion, we'd be really turned off by it. And that's the way it was in Roman times, you know, that, that to, to talk about loving the cross, taking up your cross... Uh, being faithful to your cross in your daily life, uh, that was not a pleasant
4: thing to hear.
2: Okay. Is this similar to the family of five being divided three against two and vice versa we heard in an earlier gospel? Is this a metaphor for surrendering everything to God's plan in order to be happy and lead a fulfilled life?
3: What Jesus is, he, um, again, trying to emphasize, he knows who we are. He's God, you know. He knows our weaknesses and he knows how mostly we are, we tend to be inclined to maybe worldly things. So he's trying to bring this idea of self-sacrifice as I have said, self-surrender. Surrendering to him and as Father Marty has said, give him first priority. And if you give God first priority, everything will follow and he's trying to make to lay a foundation to a church he's building now so that people and his disciples be aware right from the beginning that the cross i mean the church he's trying to build you cannot be a follower of christ if you 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 don't you cannot carry your cross and follow him
0: and i think the better gospel um for us to look at instead of the division, the three verses two, ver- two verses three, is when he first sets out on this journey back in Luke nine that we that we've talked about. Because the the you know the person comes up and says you know um, or a couple things you know to another he said follow me but he replied Lord let me go first and bury my father and he says let the dead bury their dead which seems a little harsh mm-hmm. and then I will follow you Lord but first let me say farewell to my family at home. And to him, Jesus said, no one who sets a hand to the plow and looks at what was left behind is fit for the kingdom of God. I, I think it's it's that priority, you know, that, that, that God has to come first in our lives and everything else will fall into place.
4: Well, you of look forget, just like in chapter nine, you know, verse 23, you know, like he lays out the conditions for what discipleship is uh, following him. Talks, you know, about, denying yourself you know picking up your cross just like he's repeating now five chapters later you're trying to really push this into their heads because you know sometimes you know you think the apostles you know they're just a little thick-headed kind of like sometimes like us you know or some of our irish brothers and sisters are, you can very be very stubborn you know he's got to repeat it he's got to bring us back to it because ultimately if we're not willing to you know carry our cross what are we doing
0: I, and I think the other thing too is um, uh, there's no real detail that we should you know leave behind because I think the other part of where this is coming from a little bit is that great crowds were following him. And how easy is it for us to get into the crowd mentality? Hey, look what Jesus has done. Look at the miracles. He's fed us. He's healed us, you know, and it's not all glamour. You know, it's this, you know, what Father James was talking about. It's Dedication, It's perseverance, fortitude, um, a little preview of what we're going to talk about tonight, <laughs> you know, but it, it's not just, Hey, you know, this, this celebrity type, but it's a real cost. There's a real cost to following the Lord a little different than following Taylor Swift or Tom Petty or somebody like that. Or the Iowa Ooh.
2: Ooh.
0: Dare I, dare I do it? Can we segue? Go ahead. Okay, Tony, you ready? Okay. Knock, knock. Who's there? Iowa State.
2: Iowa State who?
0: Exactly. <laughs> Go Hawks. <laughs> well, we're going to get the letters this week. Uh, okay.
2: That's Father
3: Marty at 502 West Mount Pleasant Street,
0: West Burlington, Iowa,
2: 52655. Being an Iowa State graduate, I resemble that remark.
3: Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> um,
2: so, so the tower we're trying to build is heaven, Right we should all have the foundation started by now but have we taken the long view and calculated what the cost is to finish the build what resources do we need to follow christ today
1: i think it's very interesting that here he makes these unbelievably difficult statements about aiding your relatives and friends and even yourself and then he's very practical, in it isn't divided in paragraphs here, but in the second part of the message he's very practical because he he presents to both, to the assembly, you know, what's a reasonable thing to do when you're planning something that you want to build, you know, it's reasonable to make sure that you have what you need, and it's reasonable to make sure that uh, that the things that you use are the right things to build. And, and if you don't, you're going to be subject to all kinds of ridicule by your neighbors and your friends. And so it is in the kingdom of God, too. It's reasonable to make sure you have what you need. And what we need is God's assistance, God's help. We need to see that this life is, is not just what we can see, hear, feel, taste, and t- touch, that, that there's something deeper going on in the human spirit. And I, so our Lord is constantly is constantly doing that. I find it interesting too, just being here in Burlington and being a, a son of the, the old Saint Paul's parish, because the people that built the building, which we call Saint Paul's Church, it's all divine mercy now, but but the building that we call Saint Paul's Church, which is the oldest building that is still the oldest Catholic church that is still operative. Now they they had the same problem when they built the church on North Fourth Street because if you notice it's built on a, on a on a slide you know the the hill goes straight up St. John's is too but St. John's is kind of built kind of on a, on on a level area at the top of the hill where St. Paul's is quite obviously built on a slide and when they started to build that in 1890 um People used to laugh, our, our Protestant brothers and sisters, they tell me anyway, used to laugh at us because there was a time when they had to stop building because there were some mistakes in the construction of that of the building. And so there were a couple of months there where the building just stood half-finished. And people said, hmm. look at these Catholics, they, they're building without planning. And uh, luckily it all worked out eventually, but uh, it, it was almost as if the gospel was coming true right in our own experience
4: well i think also when like you think about building a tower building a church there's a lot of deliberation goes involved sure. you know planning you know how much money is this going to cost you're going to run into you know things that come up in the construction process that you're not ready for and just like following christ like there's going to be deliberations like where do i place my priorities you know for so many of us you know it's we have that feeling of safety from our financial resources of having that emergency fund of you know six months of your salary or these material things that we oftentimes can place our trust in. But Christ, I'm just saying like, hey, give it all away. Come follow me. Are you ready? And you can't just do that by flipping a coin in there and be like, Yep, I guess I'm ready. It's gonna take time to deliberate, time to to process that, you know, speaking with you know someone who is further along on the spiritual journey to help accompany you on that.
2: We really can't follow Christ half-heartedly here is what they're saying. is you, You've got to go in for a penny and for a pound.
4: So you got to be like Matt Campbell. you got to be all in. Yeah, and... and go <laughs> <laughs> <your ciphons. laughs> we,
2: we need to renounce all our possessions and wholeheartedly follow God. Um, does God require us to literally give up our possessions or is he... Or is surrendering ourselves to Him really what He requires to accomplish His will for us?
4: I think for me, God's not asking everyone to be to be poor like some of our religious sisters. But what God's not telling us to do is, you know, to worry about building these bigger barns. You know, to accumulate more and more wealth. Like, what are we doing with those blessings that God has given us in our life? And how do we best love our neighbors? How do we best help them? You know, not necessarily only in, you know, Burlington, Iowa or the United States, but, you know, looking beyond kind of like for Father Dennis, you know, some of the needs that he has when he goes back to his home diocese in Tanzania. Like, how do we best help our brothers and
0: sisters with
4: those blessings in our life?
0: Because so often possessions can become our God, Mm -hmm. you know, and, you know, unless you renounce your possessions, it goes back to the building of the bigger barns. You know, and like I said in my homily that weekend, I realized, you know, when I moved from upstairs to downstairs, man, I needed about four bigger barns with all the <laughs> stuff that I had. And I got, I got rid of a lot of that because I realized how much the possessions had on me. And I think there's, there's some freedom there and detachment as well, too. And plus, when we're holding on to things, it's awfully hard for us to hold on to God.
2: Yeah, and isn't, I mean, can't you draw a parallel in your faith that if you're if you're only going to church on Sunday and you're not doing anything else and you're not really working at your faith, you're you're going about your faith half-heartedly, and then you get to the end and go, oh, oh wait a minute, I, I didn't have the resources here, or I didn't pursue the resources here that I needed to get to heaven. Isn't that kind of what we're saying, too? It's
4: almost kind of like a baseball player, like... You can't just show up, or like, let's say, a football player, a high school football player, you can't just show up on a Friday night and expect to be good, just strolling out onto the field. Like, it takes practice, it takes commitment to grow, you know. And being an athlete, it takes commitment, and time, sacrifice to truly be able to
3: follow Christ. It is also what I see here in the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 16, verse 25. He says, for whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will find it. So it is the same message that when you invest in God, you get life. But when you invest in things, before investing in God, you are going in the wrong direction because You are giving a priority to something which should not be the priority.
2: Very good. He also talks about in the gospel that the the army that's advancing and uh, evaluating your troops to see if you should go up against that army. And the army that's advancing upon us today is clearly a crazy mixed up society that has taken its eye off of God. We have to ask ourselves if we have the troops to oppose society and follow God, or do we just throw in the towel and ask for peace terms?
3: <laughs>
0: <laughs> we never throw the towel in. Yeah, and, and you're right, you know, there's so much going on, you know, we've got so much out there. And you know, we remind people of, of stats an awful lot. You know, who's coming to church, who isn't coming to church. You know, we have relativism today, um, other heresies going on today, divide, you know, within the church. But as long as there is one person holding the light, there's still light. Mm -hmm. And yes, sometimes we do get discouraged. You know, sometimes we just want to throw our hands up and say, you know, what's the use? And, but that's when we rely on the strength of the Lord, the strength of the Holy Spirit. And we do the best that we can. And I always go back to the prayer of of John the 23rd, of uh, St. Pope John the 23rd, because Mm -hmm. every night before he went to bed, he would stop by the chapel outside of his room. He would kneel down and he would say, Lord, I've done all I can do today. But it's your church. I'm going to bed. (laughs) (laughs) That doesn't mean we don't do anything. But at the end of the day, we say we've done what we can do. You know, Lord, I'm going to put this in your hands. I'm going to go to bed.
2: And turn it over to God. Yep. Very good. One more thing, if you don't mind, Go ahead.
0: Um, And and it's just because the day that we're taping this, um, this would have been my dad's 89th birthday today. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so um, I... uh, I think of something my dad said to me because, um, my dad was having knee surgery right out here in Burlington. It was a Monday. And, um, I remember having a funeral that day. And so before he went into the surgery, I'm like, Hey dad, you know, I won't be here when you, when they bring you out. I'm I'm sorry, you know, but you know, I love you. And he looked at me and he says, I'm going to be fine. You go do your work. (laughs) <laughs> and, and I think that's a little bit of what Jesus is saying. You know, it's like, yeah, family's important. But as my dad would say, go do your work. Right. Go put God first.
2: Right. Very good.
0: It's a great day to, uh, to have
1: that for Father and Father. Because uh, it's the feast of St. Louis, who was a great king, St. Louis of France. And uh, Father Marty is very much aware because he's still very faithful to the office but every day in the office, we have a second reading. And the second reading for today is the instruction from St. Louis to his son, who was going to be the king after Louis. And it's a beautiful, beautiful treatise on how a king should rule or how a leader should rule his mm-hmm. people. And I think with Father Marty talking about his dad and all that, I think that'd be... And that might be a very personal thing between the two of them, too, because he has a lot of wonderful ideas in there between father
0: and son. And that was a wonderful reading, Mike. You brought it up. You know, I just loved it because um, it's basically entitled um, From a Spiritual Testament to a Son by St. Louis. And I love this. My dearest son, my first instruction is that you should love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your strength. Without this, there is no salvation. Keep yourself, my son, from everything that you know displeases God. And and I love that. You know, my first instruction when you become king is to love the Lord your God first. And I wrote down in my journal today is that you know that's pretty good advice for a priest, too. Absolutely. (laughs) That's what I thought
1: too.
2: But yeah, with that insight, the gospel makes a whole lot more sense, too. So I
1: know when when I became a priest, my dad was very happy and he wanted to make sure that I became a priest for the right reasons. And so he said, I know for sure now that I, my dad, am going to heaven. And I said to him, how do you know that? And he said, well, because I gave a, a, a God, I gave God my son as a priest, you know, that's a pretty good gift. And I said, well, there's only one, one fallacy in your, your thinking there, dad. And he said, what's that? And I said, all this depends upon whether or not I'm a good priest. (laughs) And my dad looked at me really strangely and he said, you better damn well be one. He said, (laughs) (laughs) I'll never forget that.
2: (laughs) And I think it's fairly safe to say that you have.
1: I don't know. We'll have have to wait and see.
2: All right. Well, that finishes our discussion of this Sunday's Gospel. For those who are just tuning in, Father Dennis, Father James, Father Marty, and Father Mike are riding along in the posse tonight. Thanks for joining us for the show. We're happy that you tuned in. And tell a friend about the show, too. Uh, uh, Give them the information to to get them to tune in for us and and give the show a listen. Uh, Let's move on to part two of our discussion of the virtues and vices. Last week, we made it through the theological virtues. And this week, we will continue with the cardinal virtues, which there are four, prudence, justice, fortitude, and temperance. Last week, we covered the virtues of faith, hope, and charity. If you missed the show, go back and catch up, but wait till after this show to do that. Uh, I found a graphic depicting the virtues and vices in a circular form, kind of like the trunk of a tree with God's grace at the very center and the virtues and rings around it. And I thought it was interesting that the theological virtues of hope, charity, and faith uh, were, were next to God's grace, and then the cardinal virtues that we're going to talk about tonight came out next, and then the gifts of the Holy Spirit and the fruits of the Holy Spirit layered on top of that. And on the very outside um, were the capital sins, and we'll be talking about those next week. Um, but I thought it was interesting that it... it God's grace forms the center of the tree trunk, and I will try to um, post this on the website. I know it's kind of hard to get an idea what this looks like on the radio, but I thought it illustrated how the virtues build upon one another and how they're kind of linked together. Take a look at the website if you'd like to see what that graphic looks like. Uh, That should be up there hopefully Monday when I post the show. I'll put that up there, so... Uh, as i was doing a little more research for the show i was struck by the number of synonyms there are for the virtues uh, for instance uh, greed and avarice are used interchangeably and i also saw brotherly love and kindness uh, that were interchanged why are, why do they use synonyms for the same sentiments as far as the virtues go are the are the, vir, are the virtues uh, have they changed over time, or as time went by, did they just, the, the, the language changed so they substituted different words in form, or is it a Protestant influence, or is, is it just a coincidence?
1: I don't know. I, I think probably just to make it clearer what the virtue means, you know, um, it's like certain words in, in our language, uh, so many of them come from the Latin But uh, I know the word pious, for instance. To call a young man pious today would not be a compliment. He wouldn't shake your hand and say, oh, thank you. Uh, But in in Europe and in history, uh, one of the great virtues of a young man is piety. And piety, we get the idea piety means going around with your hands folded all the time and you're really very holy and all that kind of stuff mm-hmm. but piety really is a very manly virtue historically and it means devotion to to the, the Romans had piety as a devotion to the gods that a person who was very loyal to his religious re- beliefs was a pious person and without the sentimentality that the later history is attached to it uh, another word that I was trying to think of before we got on the air was sloth. Some people say sloths, but it's sloth. And it means, it means uh, laziness, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, but there's another word which I didn't know until after I was ordained a priest, and that was called Assidia, and it means the same thing. Uh, it just means someone who is, uh, well, like the nuns used to say about us when we were lazy, you are just a lump on a log, you know. You're just, <laughs> you're just a big dummy, you know. I was called that many times. I've tried to overcome that <laughs> vice in my
4: life. Mm-hmm. So how do you say You like that, don't you? So how do you say, it? I have, I've always heard it called sloth. No, sloth. Sloth. Yeah. Sloth is the name sloth. of an animal that acts like So it's, it's almost like it. putting in like a W. Yeah. It's even though there's not a W in it. C-H. Sloth. So. Interesting. Yeah.
1: You want something new every day. I think I think I'm correct now. If I'm wrong, I'm sure you will come at me later on and tell me how wrong I
4: am. I respect
3: my elders. Oh my gosh! <laughs> old is gold Mike. Pardon me. Old is a gold.
1: Old is gold. Thank <laughs> you, Father. Uh-huh. Father Dennison. I have this saying. He's, he said that when I complain about being old and tired and all that, he uh-huh. said, "Old is gold," which means that you're valuable when you're
2: old. So that's true. Thank you. Um, let's, let's, uh, let's move on with the cardinal virtues then. Um, faith, <laughs> hope, faith, hope, and charity form the foundation of the cardinal virtues. Uh, they are four moral virtues that can all be acquired through practice and by observing others who are older and wiser than you are, like you, Father Mike.
1: Thank you. Uh,
2: let's dive into the, card- the, the following four cardinal virtues. Um, let's start with prudence. Um, as I understand it, prudence is basically the ability to distinguish what is good and bad in any given situation and to take the appropriate actions. So where does prudence come from? How do we learn prudence? Why do we need prudence?
0: Well, prudence, um, we, don't, we don't want to confuse that with, with timidity or fear, according to the Catechism of the Catholic Church. And in a little booklet that the KC's put out, it says, perhaps practical moral wisdom is a clear term for this virtue today. Prudence is the virtue that disposes practical reason, the mind thinking about what should be done to discover our true good in every circumstance and to choose the right means of achieving it. With the help of this virtue, we apply moral principles to particular cases. And again, in the catechism
1: you know it's so interesting when you look at the virtues and to see how they have been perverted a little bit by our our society the word prude comes from the word prudence but prude doesn't have anything to do with with prudence a person who's a prude is is uh, how would you describe that it's uh, somebody who is really super sensitive about things that they shouldn't be sensitive mm-hmm. about right and uh, Whereas prudence is just the opposite. You're, you're very insightful into what way to act appropriately, given a given situa- a definite situation. And the uh, uh, same thing with that, you know, like I used the word before, pious. Uh, uh, it seems like the, the culture, which is uh, we're more and more counter-cultural today than ever before, but the culture wants to take what we have already and twist it, mm-hmm. pervert it a little bit, and make it so much different. Uh, we're going to get into to fortitude pretty soon. I always, somebody gave me a definition of fortitude. They called it spiritual guts. Spiritual <laughs> guts, being able to have courage in the face of obstacles. Uh, so, but it's, it's kind of interesting how these words have changed and are somewhat uh, perverted a little bit.
2: So can, can somebody give an example or two of prudence? The, the, the one that comes to my mind is we've got Labor Day weekend coming up here, and mm-hmm. the uh, the highway patrol and the law enforcement is going to be out in droves policing the, the, sure. the highways, and so it would be prudent in your travels uh, over Labor Day weekend to not exceed the speed limit, or you're going to find yourself with lights in the rearview mirror. Sure. So, uh,
1: or crossing the street, a busy, busy intersection, without looking both ways, you know, just walking out blindly into the street, thinking, "Well, uh, the street was made for me, just like it was for these cars." So, I'll they'll, they'll have to get out of my way. That's not prudent to do that.
2: As George Bush used to say, "Wouldn't be prudent."
3: <laughs> <laughs> there is also, uh, there is also when you take uh, decisions or when you you are forced to take. stand about a given situation is when the prudence comes in for example now there are so many noises out there sometimes you don't know which is which what is the truth what is not because of so many noises there so prudence helps you to to take the right decision
1: i have a lot of old food in my refrigerator that i have stored in there for a long time and way beyond the expiration date. <laughs> and, uh, and I might like that kind of food, whatever it might be. It would not be prudent for me to just go ahead and eat that food because it's, you know, it could be poisonous. It could at least make me sick. And so it's prudent. They say, when in doubt, throw it out. So
4: I always think of that
1: at times. That, that's taking the
4: prudent way. So tell me what you I'm kind of thinking more about this. All right. If you are going to go drive the speed limit, because you know that state troopers and police are going to be out in full force, I would argue that's not very and very prudent because you're acting more on the fear or potential of getting a traffic ticket. Whereas, like prudence might be more. All right, you know, you know, morally, I'm responsible for the other drivers on the road. You know, even though I'm not in their car, I need to drive defensive. And I need to drive at a safe, reasonable speed so as to not harm another individual on the road. That's right.
2: Okay. So a spiritual example... I'll just throw this out there and see what you think. A spiritual example is that you're at Mass and uh, communion is coming up and you haven't been to communion and you know you have serious mortal sin on your soul. It would be prudent to not go up and receive communion. Correct. Before you get... Uh, go to confession, and, and have your that mortal sin removed. Correct. Okay. How do we sharpen uh, the, the virtue of prudence? How do we um, strengthen it? How do we gain more prudence?
3: Some people who say that prudence comes with age, that's what people think sometimes. Others say maybe experience, when you have a, a lot of experience in life. And uh, in other cases, yeah, it is just something natural, natural. Sometimes they're quiet, but sometimes natural. Some people are naturally prudent.
4: And so you also need to know to be able to form your moral conscience, to sure. n- understand morally what is right and wrong. Because so often in today's world, it's kind of like the heresy, and you fall into moral relativism. where Well, you can go ahead and do that because it's not going to bother me at all. But if it bothers me, then I'm going to take a stand against something like a prudent person is able to understand like the, what is right and wrong Mm -hmm. and has that relationship with God and knows, they know their 10 commandments, like the back of their hand, they know, you know, potentially the principle of double effect, you know, in making a moral decision, they know kind of these situations, um, to to be best form their conscience. So they know how to morally judge and act. A lot of times you're going to learn that you know, maybe through religious ed, maybe your parents are going to help you out with that. And, you know, being able to read, you know, then and spiritually reading things, you're going to be able to help you out with your morals, ethics.
0: You just teed this up for me, so I appreciate that. I'm trying to, because okay. you're going to be chipping up at all. That's automation. right. <laughs> so this is in the words of St. Thomas Aquinas. The prudent man considers things afar off, insofar as they tend to be a help or a hindrance to that which has to be done at the present time. Hence, it is clear that those things which prudence considers stand in relation to the end. And end quote, so with prudence, we look at every decision in light of the ultimate goal. That is goodness and happiness in heaven.
2: Okay. Very good. All right. Very good. All right. And on that note, we will move on to justice. Um, justice, as I understand it, is the value that demands that we give everyone exactly what is due them. Could justice be confused with revenge? Um, like in the old TV show, like Ralph Cramden's always saying, one of these days, Alice, to the moon! Is, it, is justice and revenge a matter of degrees?
1: It says in the scriptures, vengeance, is," which is another word for revenge... Vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. In other words, when we see a situation where we don't think justice has been applied, it's not up to us to apply it. It's up to God. Uh, I mean, in the sense of uh, going overboard. Uh, so I, I think that a lot of times, you know, what people will do is they'll say, well, I, I I, don't think that whatever has happened is just. And so I'm going to, in. I have my own kind of justice, and I'm going to apply it to this individual. So you got to be very, very careful when you go down that road because uh, justice is what is right for what is deemed necessary and right for the situation for all people. And we, don't, we don't always have all the facts to, to make those kinds of judgments.
0: So I have a question for either the posse or for the MC. Okay. Okay. I'll 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 gear it towards the MC. <laughs> Good. Okay. Okay. Is forgiveness the same as justice?
2: I, I no. I, I well. I I think it's part of it. Okay. For example, the death penalty. If if somebody murders somebody and they're given the death penalty, um, I don't believe in the death penalty myself. I I don't believe that is just. I think sentencing somebody to life in prison is probably a far more horrible or, or or far more just punishment for taking somebody else's life. I mean we can still forgive them, and you hear about that all the time, people who have murdered people.
0: And I, I don't mean the um rub a, a scab off an old wound. But um, because one of the things that we dealt with as a parish before you got here, Father James, Father Dennis, and I'm not sure you were, and um, if you were retired yet, Father Mike, but you know we had some embezzlement done, you know, in the parish, mm-hmm. and you know I I had people tell me that we should forgive it and then just move on, and so that's why I asked the question between forgiveness and justice.
2: Now, yeah, but now no, because. Justice is—you can still forgive somebody, but the justice hasn't been done because even—even even if you forgive the person, Pope John Paul, Saint Pope John Paul II, forgave the man who shot him, but he was still—he still needed to be punished for
0: it. You see, the way that I look at it is—is is forgiveness comes from the heart. You know that we forgive and we move on. For me, justice is that we're held accountable for what we have done, that okay. there's still consequences to the act and that we, you know, for me, it's, for me, it, it's kind of penance. Okay. You yeah, know, yeah, I'd say
4: like forgiveness, like when you forgive somebody, you're not attempting to influence or change their decision making in the future or like injustice. It's all right. We're going to offer consequences in order to try and help you to understand your wrongdoing so that you're not gonna do it again in the future.
1: Right. It's a question of equity sometimes too. If there's something that is due to the individual who has been harmed, that's a matter of justice. Right. So if somebody steals a thousand dollars from you and you're a very generous person and all the rest, and you say, well, I forgive that. You can forgive that, forgive the debt and all that. They're talking about forgiving debts today. Okay, but if it's, you know, you're a poor person, maybe, and that thousand dollars is really a lot in your your income, that person who stole that money has got a a question of equity, of of giving you back what they can. You know, if they're impossible to repay, it's impossible for them to repay you, that might be a different story.
2: Well, that, that kind of leads into my next question, too, is in order, you have to consider rights, sure when you are considering justice right how does the church look at natural rights and legal rights what are they and how do they differ? some of the implications of that
1: well legal rights are man-made and they are there to protect the natural made rights that come to us by god you know you know the declaration of independence life liberty and the pursuit of happiness or another thing would be a pursuit of property. You have a certain natural right to these things. The law is to, to protect the natural rights.
0: And, and I think too, you know, one of the big ones is we have a natural, know, we, we have a right to life. Mm-hmm. But you know, there are there are laws out there that say that we have a right to take that life, i.e., death penalty, abortion, whatever.
2: Assisted suicide,
0: right, but we all we have a right to life You know that would be to me the the natural law the legal law says well not so fast in some cases Am I right there or am uh-huh. I off? am no, I off I the mark? Work. No, I think you're no,
2: right. I think you're right Well, what do I know?
4: <laughs> <laughs> We're just trying to avoid heresies.
2: that's right <laughs> Um, okay, let's move on to fortitude. I think we've, we've covered several examples of justice. In the Christian sense, fortitude is that virtue that allows us to overcome our fears and continue in our Christian tasks. Another word for fortitude would be courage. How key is fortitude in our mission to evangelize uh, during the week after we've been blessed and sent out after Mass?
3: I think
1: fortitude kind of expresses the degree that we have in what, what it is that we believe in, you know. Are you willing to stand up and, and be counted in support of the things that you say you believe in the, in the natural order or in the supernatural order? And sometimes that's very difficult because the fear that you have is that people will mock you, misunderstand you, be against you in one way or another. And so, fortitude is, is the degree, we say natural courage, but it's a, it's a, a courage to stand against an oppression that is trying, trying to take away the rights that you have a, a, a right to.
3: I, I like but fortitude because it, it empowers you. It gives you the strength you need, the courage you need, for example, to spread the good news. It is not always easy. Some Mm -hmm. of the things are really... Jesus is telling you, say this, do this. And now, whom do you listen? Do you listen to Jesus? Or do you place maybe the listeners or the people or the faithful or others? So that courage to say, oh, Jesus, I'm fulfilling your will, needs fortitude. So I like it because it helps a lot. And I would say, like, somebody
4: that has fortitude doesn't necessarily, I would say argue that, yes, they, there's fear. It's not like if you have fortitude, you're never going to have fear. But with that fortitude, you're able to recognize that fear. But that fear does not influence your decisions. You're able to understand your fear, kind of potentially compartmentalize it, and that fear is not the one controlling your decisions. Mm-hmm. Because if you think about it, like in today's world, like the peer pressure, like, all right, you know, here you are going out, maybe to your workplace – you know, a lot of people are kind of like, well, I don't, I don't really want to tell people I'm Catholic because they might ask me about that Mary thing and why do we worship Mary? And like, uh, before two's like that, all right, we know there's that fear of people kind of going, like, you're strange, like, you guys are weird, but we don't allow that to influence our decisions.
0: Right? You teed this up for me again, and I'm appreciative of that, okay? <laughs> I love my some ice cream. <laughs> but one of my favorite sayings is fear has two meanings. Forget everything and run, or face everything and rise. And oh, okay. fortitude helps us to face everything and rise. It doesn't mean that that you know that we're going to run away in fear. And it was interesting because a priest from the archdiocese of Dubuque put in the uh, if you get the August Magnificat, look up at the one for for August twenty fourth. Because it tells about a, you know, we, when we think of the Mexican priest during the persecution of the 1920s. Like the Sarah movement? Um, yeah. Because it, the Magnificat had a wonderful saying about him that even though he knew that he was in danger of death, he still continued to do his priestly ministry. Mm-hmm. And he was put to death for it.
2: Yeah. Something as simple as uh, doing the sign of the cross and saying grace before you eat in a restaurant oh, yeah. takes fortitude. It does. Um, so I mean that's, that's a good place to start. Mm-hmm.
0: And I know this is maybe maybe not that big of a deal, but I was at um, one of my favorite buffets on Monday. the Happy <laughs> Joe's buffet. And there were uh, um, many children there that put money in the train. I wasn't able to play the train. I, I could' have done them out of line. but there was a, a, a <laughs> but one of our local high schools, the football coach, was there. And and before he you know he went up and got his first plate of food, and he took off his hat and placed it over his heart and bowed his head. And then mm-hmm. when he got done, the hat comes off again over his heart and he bows his head. Mm-hmm. I just think that's really neat. you well, we do too, I you know, know. And you know, even like you said, making the sign of the cross before eating meal out out kind of gets you a couple of strange looks every so often.
1: Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. I always make a point. Of going to a vet, I shouldn't do it, it's maybe by invading their privacy. But when I see a couple or usually a couple or a family, when they take time out to bow their heads and say a little prayer, they're normally not Catholic, but I I, I always go up to them afterwards as I'm leaving, and I say, I really appreciate the fact that you said a prayer, you know, for, for before you ate. And at first they look at me, but most I, I usually get a very positive response to that because they know that they're, they're giving a public witness to their faith, and that's important today. I'm sorry, Father Dennis, you were going to say something. Yeah,
3: yeah, I, I wanted just to, to, to add something that uh, uh, there is this tendency of even fearing to say what we believe or to help even others to know about God. And they say, "Oh, I can't. I don't like to hurt the feelings of somebody. I don't like to share my faith because if he, he's not believing like me, he might feel maybe offended or something." I think that is a lack of fortitude to some level. You don't go to fight, but to share what you believe in, mm-hmm. that courage is really needed. Right. So that's... The fear that's- and running our decisions. Yeah. yeah. Thank
2: you. All right. Let's uh, start to run short on time here. Let's move on to temperance. Temperance is concerned with the restraint and moderation of our desires for food, sex, pleasure, and drink. We could all use more of this today. Enjoyment of food, drink is good. The problem is when they start to own us. That's where the devil gets his hooks into us. This is a tough one for everyone, especially when we live in such luxury and surplus. How do we learn temperance? Where does it come from?
1: I think it comes from uh, one of the things that come from it. Probably is what we call self control. That if you have you have self discipline, you're not giving in to all of your whims, all your desires. You realize that there's a definite order, definite order of things, and that you have to be in control. An int- intemperate person is somebody who's not in control of their own feelings or their own desires. And you mentioned all the different categories that are there. Again, the problem is, years ago, we're too young. All of us are too young to you remember this. But they had something called a temperance society, and it usually was made up, the, the image was a whole bunch of, old women that were running around trying to keep men from enjoying a good bottle of beer. And that's not temperance, you know, that's just not temperance. And uh, I remember, and again, I told the priest this, but I remember one time that somebody accused me of being an alcoholic. And I've never, thanks be to God, I've never had a problem with alcohol. But the reason they accused me of being an alcoholic is because they saw me take what they thought was too much wine at mass. And so they thought I was on the verge of alcoholism. Well, they thought I was intemperate. Well, I, I wasn't intemperate. And when I talked to my friends whose judgment I respect very highly, they agreed with me. So temperance can be one of those iffy things. But it all goes back to the idea of being in control
0: of your desires. That's what makes us different than the animals. Right. Mm-hmm. And I know we're short on time. But I, just, I think this sums it up pretty good. Um, this is from the K.C. booklet. You so I'm giving a shout out to the K.C.s tonight. <laughs> Our instructive desire for pleasure and fear of pain is the matter of raw material to be formed and controlled by all four cardinal virtues. Prudence provides the map. Fortitude tames the fears. Temperance tames the appetites, and justice regulates the resulting activities. Good, good, very. All good. four cardinal virtues have deeper and wider meanings than their names suggest. Prudence is not just playing it safe. Justice is not just punishment. Fortitude is not bullheadedness. And temperance is not just sobriety.
4: Good. Well, that's a great way to wrap it up. Yep. Yeah.
0: Very good. Thank you, Knights of Columbus. <laughs>
2: <laughs> well, and with that, um, Father Mike, you have our closing blessing tonight. Okay.
1: In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, Amen. Amen. Heavenly Father, we thank you for giving us so many interesting and deep insights into how you wish us to behave today, especially in putting into our lives the fulfillment of the cardinal virtues and helping us realize that uh, they help us to become more like the people that you want us to be. Virtues are good habits that we acquire from being close to you. Give us the grace, Lord, always to be close to you in everything we say and do. We ask all of this through Christ Jesus, our Lord. Amen. the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.
2: Amen. Thank you, Father Mike. You're welcome. With that, we bring part two of our episodes on virtues and vices to a stopping point. We haven't talked a whole lot about vices yet, but we will next week. Uh, tonight we covered the cardinal virtues and how they are supported by the mm-hmm. theological virtues yeah. and how they are important to our daily lives. I'd like to thank the posse for their humility and diligence throughout the show tonight.
3: <laughs> <laughs> and prudence. And prudence. <laughs>
2: Pastor's perspective for next week, the 24th Sunday in Ordinary Time, will continue with chapter 15 in Luke's Gospel. And we will hopefully conclude our three-part series on virtues and vices with the seven deadly sins and the capital virtues that overcome those sins. Until next week, remember God loves you and has a plan for your life, but sin separates us from God and his plan. We invite you to come back to Mass to receive the sanctifying graces to increase your many virtues. Consider this a personal invitation to come home to the Catholic Church. If you are attending Mass, invite someone to join you. I'd like to thank the priests again. Uh, The show just wouldn't be the same without you guys. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. I'd also like to thank the the listeners for tuning in. Please join us again next week on the radio or listen on the website or go to TuneIn.com for the podcast. Until then... Let today be the day we start praying to acquire all the virtues in abundance and to shed all the vices we have in our lives. The reward for acquiring these virtues is out of this world. Good night, everyone, and God bless.
0: Night, everybody.
2: You can hear Pastor's Perspective every evening at 9 o'clock after the rosary on KCDM. You can also pick up the show at 5 p.m. on Saturdays and 2 p.m. on Sundays. Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoyed the show.